Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking sports locally and nationally. Join the conversation on our social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for another edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. I am your host, Ken M. Joining me in the studio, as always, it's Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And returning to the studio, unfortunately, not the new president of the New York Knicks, but he is still your coach, my coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. I am sorry, guys, that I missed Super Bowl aftermath i i had things tied tie me up so unfortunately i could not be here for it but i am here for the xfl week one review and i am all for that yeah that we're going to jump into as long along with some more sports topics so if you want to join in that conversation and i recommend you do find our social media links on ochodoroparleyhour.com join in that conversation and remember use the hashtag odph but we're going to wait on talking about the xfl because there was a bigger sports story this past weekend and that is UFC 247. Mm-hmm. Live from Houston, Texas. Very, very big. Very star-studded. Yes. Very big star-studded crowd down at the Toyota Center. No controversy. Uh, <laughs> no, it was kind of you know one and done. Pretty easy Just fight. real easy. Not, simple night for us. First time ever. All knockouts head to toe. Just simple simple night for us. Cleaned up. Kidding on the wrapped up our food and took off. You know, simple night. Yeah, it was a great watch party over at Dragon Master Games. Shout out to the three fat nerds we were watching with Rich and Diesel. The dog came through, and this one definitely, I gotta say, the main event which we'll touch upon, a little controversy to it, but we have to talk about the first fight on the main card, mm-hmm. and this will kind of give a little prelude of what we're going to talk about later. It's like in the, the appetizer. Because the one theme that haunted this card, in my opinion, was the egregious, egregious, egregious judging for the bouts on hand. All, mm-hmm. all of them that yeah. went to the scorecard. Yeah. yeah. But the one that kind of really tipped it off that said, okay, this is going to be a very, I don't want to say unique night, but one that was going to be. Should have been like an early prelude of like, hey, something's going to be up on this. Yeah. Like, you know, but like we didn't pick up on it, obviously. We didn't, but as we jump into the first fight on the main card, it was Derek Lewis against Ilir Latifi. Latifi was stepping up to heavyweight. Normally he fights at light heavyweight. Pad, what was the result? Uh, so the result was uh, Derek Lewis defeating Ilir Latifi by, by a unanimous decision. Now, normally I wouldn't wouldn't read out these scores, but hey, we're talking some odd judging here. Uh, 29-28, 29-28, and 29-28. Coach, your thoughts on this fight? Well, uh, to say it was a little boring, I think would be fair. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Latifi, unfortunately, uh, was able to get Lewis to the ground and kind of lay on him a little bit. Not yeah. really doing much. Yeah. Um, and and that that kind of that sucked a little bit. The the weird. I mean, Lewis looked athletic. Yeah, yeah I Lewis mean, this, looked this in the guy best shape like, I've ever seen him in. Yeah, I mean, this guy looked like somebody who was prepared to fight, was was ready to go. And you know, like we were talking uh, the night. You know, Latifi just looked a little sloppy. Obviously, moving from light heavyweight to heavyweight, so the body body weight was not carried well on him. No. And. It was really, really just, you know, a classic, you know, wrestler versus a boxer, you know, a stand-up guy where the wrestler wants to take this to the ground and just score knick-knack points, which 
I mean, we kind of felt like Latifi was doing. He wasn't advancing, so we were all, like, watching the fight like, hey, come on, like, he's not doing anything. And, you know, ultimately this was, and I think this is a good prelude for what we will talk about in the main event, Mm -hmm. but I thought the judges got it right. Even though Latifi was in a dominant position for much of the fight, he didn't do anything in that dominant position. But when they were standing up, Lewis's significant strikes were way higher and very close to knockouts. I mean, how many times were those flying knees just two inches away from landing on Latifi's jaw? Those weren't flying knees. Those were flying tree trunks. Sure, the flying tree trunks. How close were they to landing on Latifi's jaw and putting him on his back? Absolutely. I mean, tough. Pad, what was your thoughts on this? I mean, it was one of those things. It was just a wild fight to watch, especially, you know, Derek Lewis, you know, heavyweight. Latifi stepping up to heavyweight, you would not expect to see a lot of leg kicks thrown in this fight just because heavyweight, you're going to think it's a you know slugfest. N- you know, keeps swinging until you knock out some teeth and the other guy drops. But no, you get to the end of it, and I did not see it going that way at all. No, this fight definitely went in a different direction than I originally thought. I did mention on last week's show if Lewis could connect with some hands, it was going to be a quick night for Latifi. Lewis was throwing multiple strikes and especially leg kicks, which if you have ever watched Derek Lewis fight before, he does not throw kicks. No. Or good kicks. He was throwing head kicks. Mm-hmm. Defying gravity. The man does not do this on a normal like basis. like watching Keith lead to a uh, jump over the ropes. Yeah, I don't know how the hell he was pulling this crap off because he never does this. He won round one, hands down. No question about this. Latifi had one chance to take back the fight, and he did it. Albeit, though, he did it in a very boring fashion, one that was not working anything in his favor, and that was the typical, quote-unquote, lay and pray. Mm-hmm. He took down Lewis, and Latifi did nothing to advance his position, which if you're not familiar with MMA, you sure, takedowns are worth points, but at the end of the day, you have to be working, you have to be trying to set something up. Otherwise, it's a moot point. The fact that Latifi took him down and could not advance, and Derek Lewis is not exactly an aficionado of the jiu-jitsu world, let alone his wrestling defense is, oh, crap, I'm on the ground. It is what it is. Latifi could not take advantage of that and was stood up numerous times, which I applaud the referee for doing because he wasn't doing anything other than just catching his breath. To Lewis's favor, though, Lewis was throwing knee strikes when he was up, and he was progressing the pace further. Albeit, though, when I was scoring this fight, I did give it to Latifi because Latifi did take him down, but that was it. So it was a very boring fight, and with Lewis getting the decision, the only thing really noteworthy about this was the post-fight interview, which if you've ever heard Derek Lewis talk after an interview... It is solid gold. It is a national treasure. Oh, my Lord. My balls are hot. Yes, but he YouTube it. Yes, but his uh, phrase for this one was he was real nervous about fighting in front of his hometown, so he was smoking weed 24-7. Uh-huh. Which, if he was fighting in Nevada, he'd be in a little bit of trouble right now. Yeah. But uh, Texas is a little different. I Listen, I I get and understand your stance because, yeah, he was able to get him down to the ground. It's just like when you, when you do that, and I know that there's not a scoring system, there's no point system, it's just kind of to interpretation of what, you know, the judges are seeing. I mean, I guess to me the difference would be is that 
if you're just getting them to the ground, you're scoring, you know, little jabs here or there, then yeah, all right, you, you've earned the takedown. I respect that. I'll give that to you. Mm. But if you're not doing anything with that position in that takedown and the referee has to stand you up, to me that should be then, in my eyes, a point away. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I would interpret it. I mean, I know I'm not the MMA aficionado. I mean, I get a lot of my stuff from you. Yeah. And, um, but I, I feel like I know enough to grasp common sense. Oh, no. That, I mean, and I understand that Latifi's a wrestler, so he's not, you know, as efficient as, like, maybe an Anderson Silva if he was in that position on a Lewis on the ground. You know what I mean? Or, or like, a Frank Mir. Somebody that has that jiu-jitsu background that would be able to, to – work the arms and work the triangle positions and stuff. So, like, at the same time, though, when I'm watching that fight, I'm saying, all right, if the referee's standing you up, then I, I'm i not rewarding you with that takedown because you did nothing to advance yourself in this fight. No, mm-hmm. and, and I do agree with you on that sense because typically they are awarded points no matter what. So when, sure. the, when the judge's decision came back, I was very shocked by it, but I was actually somewhat happy, not because I wanted Derek Lewis to win, because I need him on a post-fight speech. But I was very applauding that the fact of, okay, you took him down. It didn't mean nothing, so you didn't worm the fight. Because the typical rule of any combat sport is never leave it in the hands of the judges because you never mm-hmm. know what you're going to get. You don't know how they're going to interpret fights. This one kind of gave us an idea. I mean, we've seen fights in the past where the other one opponent just dominates the absolute you-know-what out of a guy. And we get to the, not to the point where he's knocked out, but it's very clear that even to maybe, you know, untrained eyes you sit there and go all right you know this guy won he he pressed forward the entire fight he had his opponent on the ground for the fight he did everything right the opponent really didn't have anything for the fight it's just that he couldn't knock him out well, and you and you get to the judge's scorecard and the judges go oh yeah the guy who got you know pressed the entire time who really didn't do anything yeah he won the fight yeah well i'm just saying, like i mean and then how you where the point where you're going with this is then you think all right once you see the result of this fight and the outcome now you're starting to think that maybe you have a gauge in the pulse on Correct. What the offici- what the judges are going to look like for the rest of the night because this was the first time that it was. I mean, the first car, the first fight that we got to watch because we were watching that Duke UNC game, guys. Yeah. So sorry we missed a couple of the early prelims, but uh, the two women that fought in the prelim that you know the one girl had the busted face and the other girl was uh, Lauren, Lauren Murphy, Murphy and yeah, Andrea Lee. You know that went to decision. It went the other way than what we had thought when we tuned into the fight. We were you know kind of surprised. Um, so. But then on, you know, we thought we started to get a pulse for what the judges were looking for, which ultimately will lead us to the main event of then we had no idea what we were looking for. No, we definitely didn't. So moving up the card, though, from there, I mean, Derek Lewis, I don't know where he goes from here. Uh, I wouldn't say he's in any title contention. Maybe he gets uh, a winner down the road of the Curtis Blades fight. I mean, that could be something that happens. I mean, if he continues to to give uh, the post-fight pressers like he is i think that i mean right now he's really the only name in heavyweight that people are probably familiar with and, and mm-hmm. a- admire you know like at least would be a draw yeah he he's starting to develop that fan base because he's oh, just, yeah well, he's, and, and, and he's starting to transcend because seriously look up the my balls are hot video it's hilarious i remember a couple of days after that fight aired uh, i was out in public and I ran into some friends, uh, you know, while I was out, who I know don't watch UFC, don't watch MMA, don't even really watch sports. And they were out having some lunch. And I walked by him, and, and I heard Derek Lewis's voice saying, "My balls are hot." And I'm like, "Wait, what? What is going on? Why am I hearing this?" And I look over, and it's my friends watching the video. So like, you can tell he's starting to transcend that. Okay, your MMA fans and your UFC fans know who he is to the point where 
common average people are starting to find out who he is. Yeah, which can only help his career because if you can talk, you can definitely walk and walk into some big fights. Conor McGregor has been doing this for years now, mm-hmm. but I digress. Going to the co-main event now, though. We did have the women's flyweight title on the line. Valentina Shevchenko, your champion, facing Katie Chikagin, which I got that right finally. Pad, what's the results here? Uh, so uh, Valentina ended up defeating Caitlin uh, via TKO, elbows and punches, in the third round. Coach, your thoughts on this? Now, I know this is the first time you've seen Shevchenko fight. Yo, she is scary. Mm-hmm. She struck fear in me that probably I have not felt in a long time. Damn. I mean, she controlled the entire fight, head kicks, f- leg kicks, punches to the ground. I mean, when the crucifix went in, I was, I was, if I was the referee, I would have hopped right in there because there was no way that she was getting out of that crucifix. There was no way. Like I she mean, had that tight. She's darn near unstoppable because, like we said in the preview, uh, preview last week, you know, she's nineteen and three in twenty-two professional fights with two of her law, lo- her only two losses in UFC. Both coming to Amanda Nunes. You know, yeah. outside of that, Liz Karamouche, Jessica I, Joanna Jurjechik, Juliana Pena, Holly Holm, she's beat them. Like, that's a name. That's a, that's a, It's not like an Amanda Nunes like, trophy list of, of folks you've beaten, but like it's still something you can put a little feather in your cap. I will say that she is the 1B best fighter in the UFC right now behind Amanda, Amanda Nunes. I'd agree with that's that. That's 1A, 1B right there for your, yeah. for your women's yeah. division. And even the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters, Shevchenko is probably in the top 10, in my opinion. She is no joke, and she has now found her weight class because the times that she has fought, Nunez has been at bantamweight. At flyweight, she's damn near unstoppable. Yeah. And she put on a clinic. And it's not like some fighters where if you go to their their Wikipedia page and it breaks down their matches by knockout, submission, and decision where it's very heavily in one category. Mm -hmm. You look at this one, you know, she's got six wins by knockout, seven wins by submission, six wins by uh, submission. The seven wins by submission, and then six wins by decision. Decision. So it's not like she's getting decisions in every fight, and maybe getting an occasional knockout or an occasional submission. No, she's like it's almost like she's going to the grocery store and picking out her groceries. Oh, what do I feel like this week? Yeah, you know what? I feel like getting a decision. She can definitely adapt her style, and that's the one thing I think is really something she excels at. That when she gets in the cage, she doesn't fight a typical fight. She goes where the fight takes her, and she is very comfortable if it's standing up, if it's on the ground. She has shown no weaknesses, in my opinion. And to see how she ran through Chikagin, because Chikagin was no joke coming in 13-2, no. is just Shevchenko is on that different level right now. And now the question becomes, where does she go from here? Now, there is rumor, and I want to stress, it's rumored they're going to try doing a trilogy fight with Amanda Nunez. Okay. So what is your thoughts on that, I pose? I mean, I'm all for it. You got the two, like you said, the two two of the best female fighters in UFC right now. Strike while the iron's hot. Don't, you know, don't miss out on this opportunity like you have in the past. Don't do like a, you know, a Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao type thing where you should have fought 10 years ago and you never got around to it till it was past your prime. They're the hottest things you got going right now. You're They're the two names that, you know, any casual UFC fan will hear and go, ooh, you know what, I'm down for that. Yeah, coach? Yeah, I think that if you like Pat was saying, you got to strike right now. Like you got to, you have the opportunity to make this fight. So why not do it? And whether I mean, maybe even a catch weight. You know, if you don't feel comfortable with Shevchenko or Shevchenko, Shevchenko going down. You know, the bantam or would that be going? She'd be up? going up. She'd, She'd be, be going, going up. up. You know, maybe even a catch weight scenario where that might be 
a little more favorable for her where she, you know, is comfortable because obviously I don't I don't see Nunez going down. Yeah, Nunez. So. She, she Nunez is definitely earned the right to stay at bantamweight if if she wants to fight there. I don't see her wanting to go to flyweight uh, to drop ten more pounds to fight at one twenty five. I I don't see that. I don't see the need for it. I would say if they could fight at a catchweight at 130, I think that would help Shevchenko. Shevchenko can fight at bantamweight. It's not unheard of, but you're much more comfortable at the weight class of 125, though, in my opinion. Since she's stepped down and, and has taken over that division, that's where she's great at. It's not to say that she wouldn't contend with Nunez because they have scrapped. But this is the biggest fight for women's MMA that the UFC can do right now. I'm sorry, you let Chris Cyborg go. We have talked about it on the show. Nunez Cyborg was the fight to make. Nunez Cyborg 2, that is. That was the fight to make. Now you have Nunez, who is so dominant in two weight classes now. Let's put it in perspective. Yeah. Two weight classes, she is running through people. Champ, champ. And now Shevchenko is dominating the 125s. Straw weight is is going to be a good one, too. I know yeah. they, they got the big title fight coming up in March. Uh, between uh, Wheelie Zhang and um, Trujacek. That's going to be a fun one to watch. But for right now, I mean, that is the fight you have to make. I can't see you not making that fight, not completely running with that. And honestly, I know that they fought before. It's been two decisions, but it's been quality MMA. It's a good fight. It's a good story. Run with it. If the UFC is smart, they definitely do that. Well, and the last time they fought was back at UFC 215, which was in September of 2017. Neither woman is the same fighter she was exactly. then that she is now. Yeah, so who, knows, so who knows how it'll go? Oh, I don't know. I think we win as fans. Yes. And you know what? I'm, <laughs> yes. all, I'm all for that. Like yes. I said, the, the Zhang Jacek fight is something I have circled on the calendar. But if they book Shevchenko Nunez 3, I'm there. Open in day. Yeah. So that being said, we now get to the main event. Mm-hmm. The one and only John Bones Jones representing Endicott, New York. Which by is way of Endicott, New by York. By way of Endicott, New York. I need to remember to say that. But he is representing the 607, mm-hmm. uh, taking on one Dominic Reyes at the time, undefeated, 12-0. Yep. Albany football great, yes. mind you. Yes, which we were reminded on many times. This close. Many times. This close, guys, to the NFL. Yeah. Uh, Pat, I heard he was in the green room, actually, on draft night. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe he might have been in the backpack green room, but I heard, yeah, I heard he was waiting this close. You, he was waiting so close to get to the NFL. This so, close. so close, as we were told. Albany Great Danes. <laughs> Powerhouse. Oh, man. Pat, what was, what was the results here? Uh, so John ended up defeating Dominic Reyes uh, by unanimous decision. And again, because we're talking some questionable judging here, I normally wouldn't read out the judges' scores, but because it's questionable judging, 48-47, 48-47, 49-46. Now, just to give you some instance of just how wild this was, I got a message from my brother who is stationed overseas in uh, Lithuania for the army. He messaged me at like an ungodly time for me early for him going, what the hell just happened? Coach, your thoughts. Yeah. Because I got some. All right. So let's just go through my thought process during this night. John's going to dominate. John's going to house this. This is going to be easy pickings. Move John up to heavyweight, right? Mm -hmm. My father-in-law texted me before the fight. I'm nervous about this one. I said, Will... You're nuts. John's going to absolutely put on a clinic tonight. This is going to be his purest performance. Whoops. Then the opening bell happened, and I was like, yikes. 
There is, I and I mean, th this is where I know because I know the fighters that I like and I know the things that they do. So obviously, watch a lot of John's fight uh, fights in the past. You know, there's a few fighters that have been able to push John to a breaking point. Yeah, you know, Rampage Jackson, Gustafson. You know, Loyola Machida for the most part in that you know in that fight in the early rounds. In the early round, yeah. In the early rounds, yeah. Um, and what all those fighters do? They press John. They close the distance. They got things real, you know, nitty gritty. And just push the pace. Boom, 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 boom. You know, just punches on punches on punches. When John tries to do the, uh, you know, the evade by backpedaling, you stay on top of him. And, and that, and you punch John in the face. Now, granted, John, this was probably the toughest that I've seen him in a long time take mm -hmm. punches. Yeah. Because that Rampage fight, I mean, he was like doing circles around the octagon. Yeah. Just running in circles to, to avoid those punches. This time, yeah, he would do his little backpedal to evade. But, you know, he, he would try and throw counters. So I got very nervous after that first round. Then the second round, I was like, still, you know, still same feeling from the first round. I was like, oh, shit, this is in trouble. Third round, however, then things started to change. Uh, you started to see, you know, uh, Reyes' tempo kind of slow down a little bit. And the, the you know, the exhaustion started to set in. And this is where I thought, you know, was the time for John to strike. Not so much, at least in my eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. third round's very questionable, and it could have been a 50-50 round, so that's, you know, whatever. Then the fourth round, while we were watching the fight, I'm like, you know, let's go. John, you got to go. And he did. You know, he won that round outright. And then the fifth round. And I was texting my father-in-law, and I'm like, if he doesn't win this fight right now, like, knock him out. It's over. It's done. John's going to lose. Yeah. And then when, it went to, when John didn't even try, you know, to push it at all, you know, maybe a few takedown attempts. And that's it. Uh, I was stunned. I was flabbergasted. Everybody, my wife, my father-in-law, everybody who was awake watching the fight, you know, I've texted me, John lost the fight. John lost his fight. And I was like, yep. And my jaw was on the floor waiting for the decision. Pad, your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, no, definitely a questionable call. You know, I was definitely rooting for John. I, You know, I've met him before, you know, before he got big. You know, I met, he was two years ahead of me in high school. So, you know, I got to meet him before he blew up, so to speak. So I was rooting for him. I wanted to see him do well. Fellow alumnus, you know, from the same high school. You know, but, you know, it was very concerning coming out the gate. that, And it's like I said when we were watching the fight, he screwed around the first two rounds of the fight. Where and I think the other thing that hurt him and I you got to give credit to Dominic Reyes and his takedown defense where John tried like hell to take him down and John is very very good usually at taking guys down and getting them to the ground he could not do that with Dominic Reyes and I know Reyes was obviously very sweaty yes. he was he he was he, I mean he oh. was oiled up man right, let's he, talk about whatever was on his skin because that was like lubrication that man was slipping right off of him that you reminded know, me of GSP grease gate yeah. <laughs> you know so he was slipping a lot but like it's still a guy of John's caliber should have been able to at least at some point later in the rounds when when Reyes was really tiring down still should have been able to take him down but he just wasn't so I you know the first two rounds definitely went to Reyes in my book third round is kind of a 50 50 give me a quarter I'll toss it and I'll tell you who, who did it Fourth and fifth were absolutely John. You know, he finally started to pick up the pace and pick up the tempo. I don't know what it was. I don't know if his coach, Greg Jackson, you know, might have smacked him upside the head and said, hey, cut the shit. You got to get this stuff together. You're about to lose this. But he finally picked up the pace and, and won the fight. Do You know, is it controversial? Yes. You know, should they run it back? Yes. But, you know, definitely an interesting fight to say the least. So for me going in with this, when I saw the fighters walk out, and let's remember, Reyes, even though he was undefeated, 
I believe was a plus three fifty, plus three sixty underdog. Somewhere in, in that area. Yeah, somewhere in that. It I was think a it was crazy amount. John was a heavy favorite. I want to say he was around the 450, 460, 475 range. Reyes looked visibly nervous, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and I think everybody else in attendance was saying he looked nervous. You yeah. know, it's not that he looked nervous. It just there wasn't the confidence. That it was the overconfidence yeah. in his eyes. It wasn't so much that as it was that overconfidence look of n- not fear necessarily, but like reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that especially when he was in uh they showed the backstage, you know, and you saw John doing his normal, you know, gimmick and stuff and you saw Reyes just sitting in a chair fully clothed like just hood you know, lo- hood out lounging, you know, and and kind of uh disconnected from his camp in there. Yeah. I thought that was a telling sign. I mean, listen, I'm not a UFC fighter. I don't need to get up for anything. So however you need to get yourself you know, willy nilly and get fired up is how you do it. You know, I mean, some people were the guys in the middle of the huddle for football that, you Mm -hmm. know, wanted to crash helmets. And then there was other guys like me who was like on the outskirts of the huddle and going team, you know, like, you know, so there's one or two characters, you know? So, so if Reyes is that guy, then that's what he needed to do. But from a, from a standpoint of you see John, and then you see the way he's conducting. Mm-hmm. You're gonna give like you're feeling more comfortable with John going into that than you are watching Reyes. Reyes Ray coming out of his uh, his locker room and out to the octagon reminded me very much of my first job interview, where you know I applied, I got I got the job interview lined up, and and you know going into it, I was like, oh yeah, I've got this interview, I'm gonna do great at this. This is gonna be awesome. And then when it finally came time for the interview, and I'm all dressed up and I'm sitting there, I would if if you were to draw me like a cartoon, I would have looked like the Looney Tunes with the heart beating out of the chest. How nervous and scared I was. That was the same kind of vibe I got off of Reyes. Where leading up to the fight, he's confident. And he's saying all this stuff. I mean, go back to the promo videos that were playing at the start of the pay per view, where he says he's going to not. You know, the, it's a new decade. It's time for a new champ. This, that, and the other. But when it came time, you look at it. Just reading it on the surface, he went, oh, "That's interesting. That's you know, you might not have it." It was something to see, especially for a fighter that finally gets his big break and is now going to the main stage. All eyes are on him, obviously fighting one of the best with John Jones. And Jones came out very relaxed, very... Yeah. I don't want to say he looked like he was going through the motions, but I'm going to say he looked very uninterested in this fight. Like I'll definitely say once the fight started, yes. Yeah. Like that, yeah. Because the, the pre-fight and the, the, the gimmicks... Yeah, was classic John. Oh yeah, the the crawling into the ring, the octagon, the 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 hunched over thing. I was like, oh, John's in his in his shit right now. He's in right, his but bag. doesn't he usually do spend at least part of the first round feeling a guy out, not oh, exactly pressing? Well, his. he he does. He doesn't go like Anderson Silva, where like Silva would not make a strike for two minutes because he wanted to get the guy's timing. But John was kind of feeling it out. But to Reyes's credit, Reyes immediately bull rushed him mm-hmm. and was swinging. And to touch upon what Coach was saying, if you can pressure a guy like John, it throws him off his rhythm. Rampage did it very well. Machida did it, albeit though Machida did it kind of with the weird karate style he fights with. Right. It was throwing him off. But I'm going to flip it back to Machida, though, to see that John and him have, I don't want to say similar styles, but they do borrow a lot from like the karate background. Okay. That John it do, does wait to strike. John does not come out swinging out the gate. John will throw a couple jabs to kind of get a timing down and such. Machida do, did the same thing back in his prime. But when he and I'm going to throw it back to the fight that he had against Shogun Hua, the second fight. Shogun 
bull rushed him and never let him have a chance to breathe. Right. And like wound up knocking him out, I think, in the first round. Like he just buzzsawed him. Right. Mm-hmm. Reyes tried doing the same thing and I think showed the blueprint of how you can maybe beat John. I'm not going to say it's going to be a lock, stock, and barrel, but he bull rushed him enough. He pressured him. He Once he started landing a couple shots, you saw that confidence now that he was talking about pre-fight show up in the cage. For John, I think his eyes got really, you know, uh, fully focused of like, this kid is for real. Yeah. And I think that once that happened, Reyes won the first round easy. I don't think there's any question yeah. about that. Oh, yeah. The second round was more of the same, but this is where it's in the eye of the beholder. Reyes started gassing himself out. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. And he was not in full condition for the pace he wanted to keep. No. He was pressuring John. He was throwing shots. He was connecting on a good portion of them. Once he, you're there, you, you're thinking it's Reyes by two rounds. The third round is the one you can go back and forth because at this point, Reyes was on fumes in my right. opinion. Right, yeah. And he, right. w- he was throwing to the degree of connecting and how much impact it was making. I mean, calling them significant strikes is a disservice it's a stretch. to what they were. Yeah, it's a complete stretch. He was landing jabs. Yeah. He wasn't landing strikes. Very big difference if you know the boxing. And not even to mention game. the fact that John was absorbing about 90% of them, not only off of his hand, so there, there but was off a, There was arm. a good stretch of fu- uh, stretch of that fight where I felt like I was watching a boxing match more than I was watching a UFC match. And that's not to discredit, you know, the match or, or kind of shit on the match or anything. That's just what it looked like where, you know, Reyes is throwing hands at John and it's like I'm watching Muhammad Ali or Mike Tyson in his prime just dip, duck, and dodge. Well, it also borrowed a little bit from the Mayweather-McGregor fight. Sure. Because yeah. Reyes was throwing, Mayweather was sitting there absorbing and ducking until he wound up gassing himself out. So I don't think that was John's necessarily first game plan, but that's what it turned out to be. Oh, that's what it, that was the only thing he could do because he couldn't get his timing down. Right. Once once he started picking apart Reyes's timing, then he started working the takedowns. But this is where it kind of falls back to where we were talking about Derek Lewis. John was taking him down, but Reyes was getting right, right back, up. back up. And one thing I thought he did, which was very smart, is I don't necessarily say it was grease gate or it was nervous sweats. But Reyes was very slippery. Oh, you can to hold. see, you oh, can yeah. see yeah. it because no, you, there was the one where John had him, and it was literally he was on the ground, and he just and like finangled his way up when John had him, like straight up in like a back uh, belly to back, you know, hold, mm-hmm. and basically could have just Germaned him, you know, and instead because he was so you know so sweaty, John couldn't hold on to him, and he just literally got right out of it, and that's not a move like. John, DC, John would throw DC down in yeah. that position, yeah. you know? Like, John would yeah. throw Rampage down if he had that. He would throw anybody down. You could say, you can say, yeah. There, yeah. There, was a, there was a couple times where John tried to take him down that he looked like he was getting ready for a Brock Lesnar suplex. Yeah, he was going he for just, a German suplex. He went for, was looking going for a German. He looked like he was ready to Lesnar him, and I'm talking like full squat and everything. And just he could not hold on to him. It's like trying to watch a kid hold on to an icicle. Well, it was part of Reyes's how slippery he was. But another thing he did, which I thought was very interesting to see, is his take his takedown defense to get back to his feet, he was going in a 360. He was moving. He did not exactly do it the traditional way. Right. He was spinning. Almost like Dwight Freeney's spin move. Right. Right. It was something along that variation. I'm sitting there watching him like, that's ingenious. Now granted, how wet he was did play a factor because he was very slippery. I don't necessarily know if this would have worked in the first round. 
but it's smart for later rounds. I like mm-hmm. I was very very impressed with that. But John did take over the fight in rounds four and five. It was more of the same. Uh, you know, round five, I I I lean John, but he, I mean he didn't look good in that round either. No, he didn't because at this point you saw something that we haven't seen from John in a while: desperation. Mm-hmm. And you can't say otherwise. John, I think, felt he lost this fight in his heart. He might never ever say it in public. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he definitely looked in that fifth round defeated. And he was trying to go for the win via submission or knockout. He was still so working. He, he was still trying to throw the uh, spinning out back elbow. Yeah, I but threw it like 17 times that round. He, yeah. he was trying every trick he had in the book to get Which that Which I mean, w. I've only ever seen that work in the video game. Right. So this is where it got very interesting because, like I said, on my scorecard, I had Reyes winning 1, 2, and 3. I had John win 4 and 5. Yep. That was my personal scorecard for this. So to hear the judges... Where earlier in the night, we were awarding takedowns. Uh, we're not counting that for Ilya Latifi. Right. We're not rewarding takedowns. We're, we're not yeah. rewarding takedowns. How are you going to give John points when that's all he really tried doing in rounds four and five? Albeit, though, he had octagon control. He dictated the pace. The fight was definitely in his favor there. But if you're not doing it for one fight, how are you doing it for this one? Right. That's where it became the question. So to hear the judges' announcements of a unanimous decision, yeah, which we all thought, we all had said, we all accepted. Like we're like, all right, if this is split, cool, yeah, but it can't be unanimous. Well, yeah, because you had the one judge, and I won't name names, you know, just to be not worth it, just to be decent. You had uh, Judge A, I'll call them, uh, gave the first round to Reyes, second round to John. Third round to Reyes, and then the final two rounds to John. See, what are you watching that second round? Yeah, that second that, round. That, that's what I, when I was talking earlier when we were talking about the fight, like, I don't know what they were seeing in the second round that would have given that to John. Judge B uh, gave the first two rounds to Reyes, and the final three rounds to John. Okay. Okay. Third judge, uh, Judge C, I'll call them, gave the first round to Reyes, the final four rounds to John. That's, that's poppycock. That is, no. That's, that's brutal. That's, that's absolute horseshit. I'm sorry. Like that's just bad. I just nowhere, nowhere was the last four, and I mean, I don't know how you don't run this back immediately. I know we're not on that topic yet, but just hearing that four to one judge thing, if I was Reyes's camp, if there is a way to protest or something, I one thousand percent would. Well, that is a. Well, it's funny you bring up, you know, a rematch. The UFC posted on their official Instagram account. Do you want to see them run it back? Uh, Francis Ngannou chimed in. Uh, Francis Ngannou said, fuck yes. Uh, with, <laughs> with three fire emojis. And But he added, but not in Houston, though. Those just judges scare the shit out of me. And it I, really says something about Francis Ngannou, the man who, you know, helped a man's soul leave his body, knock a guy out. Doesn't want to fight in Houston. You know, and the thing that makes me even angrier is, so we've talked about this before in the show, mm-hmm. that there's two types of fans in our hometown, right? Yep. There is either the John Jones lovers or there are the John Jones haters. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to find somebody who's down the line. I it, it, I don't think they exist, to right. be honest with you. And, I mean, well, I guess I should say there's, there's the sycophantic, you know, John Jones fans. Then there is the... You know, haters, you know? We, we'll borrow a phrase from uh, the th- Rich from Three Fat Nerds. There's the Kool-Aid drinkers that yes. will defend him like AEW. Right. And and, I, and I'd like to say that we probably are down the middle because, I mean, obviously we we have a podcast that we do and we talk, 
you know, fairly about things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for we all admitted that he lost the fight, so oh, yeah. I would think that we're right down the line. I mean, I'm definitely not a hater. I'm not, you know, I'm not that kind of person that would just put him down just because of bad oh, decisions. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's like if I was on either camp, you know, I would just say like you have to run this back. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would not and my point that I was trying to make was, you know, for people to say and defend John, well, to be the man, you have to beat the man. Arya Hawali said this, and I absolutely loved what he said. John's not Ric Flair. This no. isn't wrestling. This is a, a judge about that is scored by judges who are supposed to be there with their best intentions of scoring the fight fairly. Mm-hmm. So if he would have won this, um, Reyes, that is, by a split decision, then, yeah, he beat the man. That is the, the point of the judges to be there to judge and observe mm-hmm. the fight. So you don't have to knock the champion out to beat him. All you need to do is beat him for five rounds and win the fight. And we should point out these are the judges that earlier in the night, uh, Joe Rogan and Dominic Cruz, who were on color commentary for the for the fights, pointed out during one fight, I believe it was on the prelims, that the judges weren't watching the fights. I thought it was a Shevchenko fight. No, I no, okay. it wasn't Shevchenko. I, 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 I want to say it was the. It was either the welterweight uh, matchup or the women's flyweight. You know, yeah, I think it, it was the women's, it flyweight the women's flyweight on the yeah. on the prelim card. Where like I I think it was Dominic Cruz was like, "What are the judges watching? They're not watching the fight." And I think this goes to two points I want to bring up to kind of close this out with the judging in MMA. We have talked about numerous times. You can't leave it in the hands of the judges. This is one area where this just screams it. Because how that one judge scored this four rounds for John is absolutely appalling as a fight fan. Mm-hmm. You can't, you cannot willingly give him those rounds when, if you want to go straight statistically based, he did not throw enough strikes in both of those rounds. Let alone, how did he assert his octagon control? He didn't in those two rounds. Two and three, three is something you can argue. Two, you definitely can't. Two, you you have no ground to stand on. Let alone the two judges gave it to John. This was like the same scorecard of the first time he fought Gustafson, where that one you might have a little more leverage to stand on, but how can you? This is where the judging in MMA, I don't know how they can work with the different organizations to get better. Yeah, I know that it was brought up. I, I can't remember. It was Dominic Cruz who was very vocal, and I, I really applaud what his stance was about this, was saying after each round, the judges should post their scores on the titantrons. Mm-hmm. And so fighters know. Yeah. Because not saying that you need to say their names, but to let the fighters know what they're watching, I think can only help. Because, I mean, they do that for boxing, if I'm not mistaken. For, yeah. For, or, well, how fun of an element would that be, too, the dramatics? That well, would that would occur by that? I mean, now you know instead of Greg Jackson, who was pretty calm and collective, you know, especially the fourth and fifth round. Yeah, the fifth round, he kind of was like, "Hey, hey, hey!" Yeah. Like, you better watch your shit because you're about to lose this fight. Like, that's the first time we've ever probably ever heard Jackson talk to John that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it was up there and they saw, you know, Ray is three, John one, you know, dude, now you got to go. You know, and I. But on the flip side of that, you know, maybe that would cause Reyes to kind of evade a little bit more. Which I mean, I guess would be smart. But from a from a fan standpoint of a person buying a you know sixty four dollar pay per view, yeah. If I see him running, I am flipping out. 
Yeah, I, I fully agree. It's just something that I don't know how they exactly fix. I, I like the boxing idea, uh, but they need to do something. They need to do something. I think what they need to do is you need to get together fighters, some of the major fighters from both Bellator and UFC. You need to get Dana White. You need to get Scott Coker together. You got to get the refs together. You got to, hell, even get some of the writers in together. Come up with a system. Set it up. Agree on it. Sign whatever paperwork you got to do because this has got to change. Well, another area, too, that I was thinking they, they need to try reaching out to. I know Ricardo Almeida was doing some refereeing, and he's a former UFC fighter, a very good one, too. That maybe these judges need to start working with fighters about getting better because it's one thing to be doing this if you understand the sport and the everything that goes on with it. It's another thing if you are just there to observe it and you're not fully, I guess, aware mm-hmm. of what is going on because the judging in this was so all over the place. I, there's not a, another way to describe it. From the entire fights that went to the decision, they were all over. There was no consistency. So I just think it needs to be a – it just needs to be a system. It just needs to be uh, – and I don't think it necessarily needs to be points. Mm. You know, I just think it's, you know – fighter what you know what fighter won this round that's it you know like no because the point system that's when it can become really inconsistent because i mean 49 46 it's like come on you know instead of a point system it should just be who won this round reyes or or jones period circle one no done i i hear that but that that borrows so much from boxing and how they've had that for years though it's like i i understand what you're saying and i don't disagree with it i just don't think they'll change that just because well, it's it's a staple. I just I I just think that if you take the points away and you take away the so many things that uh, judges need to watch, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sure, I get the idea of having you know MMA fighters do it, but it's like, all right, so then what does that become? Now you need to have one jujitsu guy, one boxer, and one you know wrestler there to interpret this one fight because you know said wrestler is a mixed you know is a mixed fighter, mm-hmm. you know, just so they have to have all three of the mixed martial arts aficionados there. It's like, I just think that just give a guy a sheet that has two names on it and circle one who he thought won the round. Now you're eliminating the, 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 the BS and all the other extra things that the judges need to watch for. And now it's just go watch the fucking fight. Yeah. Just put your eyeballs on the octagon. See that, you know, John's face got cut open. Fucking Reyes dominated that round, you know, and it's simple that way. It should be, and it's not a bad idea. Like, I'm not saying, I'm not ruling it out by any means. I just, I don't know how that would exactly work. And then it also depends on how the commissions want to do that because every state does it differently. I guess in just this area, showing how the judging was so mismatched all over the place and inconsistent really hurt this fight card in general, but let alone your title fight. So something needs to be done. So we're going to continue that on the social media, so definitely hit it up on hashtag ODPH. But to close this out, because I know we got real wound up about this topic, John Jones, still your light heavyweight champion. What is his next move, starting with coach? I think it's this needs to be ran back. There's no – there. not only would the buy rate be huge because people would sign up to see this fight again because mm-hmm. of how it ended, but I think that both fighters deserve uh, – an actual fight outside of the Houston area or Texas in general, you know, maybe in Nevada where, you know, 
circumstances would be better, I guess, as far as judging. And, you know, we get a fair fight. Um, I know the, the heavyweight idea is there, but I, I lean Reyes all the way. I think you got to run it back with Reyes. I realize John has talked about running up to heavyweight and fighting in heavyweight, and I know Stipe's name has been thrown out. Like we said, you know, like we discussed, I think it was off air on last week's show. You know, Stipe's only just getting back to even doing some form of training. You know, he's nowhere near coming back. So if we're talking like time frames of when Stipe's coming back, we're talking maybe September at the earliest end of the year, just spitballing off the top of my head. So I, I don't think that fight is going to happen anytime soon just because of Stipe coming back from injury. So I think in the meantime, in between time, you know, you got to run it back with Reyes and you got to put some finality to this and put it to bed. Yeah, I have to lean that if John is going to stay at 205, you have to give the immediate rematch. But I want to see this happen right away. I don't want this being delayed because I've seen this happen with Gustafson. Gustafson should have had an immediate rematch right. way back yeah, when. Yeah, for real. And I, and I don't know if it was just medical suspensions. I don't exactly know. But I look at that and go, that should have happened. If Reyes is going to get one, and I definitely think he warrants one, you have to do it immediately. That has to be John's next fight. The only other fight you can do, in my opinion, right now, is do the heavyweight fight with Miosic. That would make sense to me for a big fight feel if you want to do it International Fight Week. I know they booked Usman and Masvidal on that one. Why not stack that card completely crazy and do that one on there? It would make sense. I just think at this stage, there really isn't anybody that you can sit there and go, okay, John, if you're going to stay at light heavyweight, who's going to come back? I know Tiago Santos is definitely worthy of one. I don't know his injury status of him coming back. Remember, he is the one that almost beat John, and I believe it was at UFC 239. Something like that. If I'm not mistaken. I know that there is going to be the fight between Yen Blackwitz and uh, Corey Anderson coming up. I don't really see anything happening there. Uh, I can't really see John no. screaming to fight either one of those no. guys at this stage. I know that Corey Anderson has been very vigilant about trying to get that fight. I don't know if that's exactly going to happen, but who knows what to see. I think if you're going to do it, though, you have to run back Reyes. That is the one to do right now. And if not, Miosic is the other one until you want to run it back. But you have to decide what does John want to do. Stay at heavyweight or stay at light heavyweight or go up to heavyweight. So many questions coming out of UFC 247. We definitely want to interact with you and get your opinion. What did you think of the fight? What did you think of the card in general? Did the judges really do a good job, or were they completely off the rocker? I don't know. We have to have that discussion. So hit us up on the hashtag ODPH. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. 
Sometimes we may just all we know we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the home video hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucker. Hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. 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 Good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. Hey, this is Vince the Calaman Toy, local MMA fighter, telling you to keep on listening to the ODPH, the 607's up-and-coming newest podcast. Coming back for segment number two on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and let's talk some football. Mm-hmm. Football. Let's talk about the love of the game. <laughs> the game. Let's, the love of something. Let's talk about the XFL. Bucket brother. Yeah. The Vince McMahon-led football, American Football League, rather. The Extreme Football League. Two point minus the Extreme. Two point oh. Yeah. However, you really wanted to find it, uh, made its return. This past weekend. Much like an Undertaker rise from getting up on the mat in wrestling. Now, as we talked about last week to close the show, XFL 2001, one and done season. Uh, Hot garbage. Was not exactly what we thought it was going to be. Some great players came out of it, though. Yep. He hate me. Rod Smart. Kent Graham. Mm -hmm. He hate me. Yeah. And it definitely did some innovations for how we watch football. The sky sure, cam, sure, yeah, straight up XFL. Don't let anybody fool you otherwise. Cheerleaders in hot tubs. Yeah, that's something we can definitely forget. <laughs> uh, that was I, there mean, for I don't want to forget. That, that was there for a cup of coffee. Yeah, it, it just takes away from the game and like what the I guess the original version was supposed to be. You know, like I say, for me, I like traditional football. I don't, yeah. I don't need the WWE, you know, no. side no. soap operas, even though, like I say, I, I I saw what Vince was trying to do and making the storylines with the cheerleaders and all that nonsense. It's like, stop. Just stop. Like, I, I want to watch sports. I don't need to. If I watch WWE, I'll watch it, but I don't need to watch it during a football game. So that being said, we had the return of the XFL, and this past weekend it dominated – Networks across the nation for a legitimate it, reason. It, it tried to in certain markets. Break it down, Pat. Well, so of course you had the XFL return this weekend. Uh, you had Seattle taking on DC, Los Angeles taking on Houston on Saturday, and then on Sunday you had Tampa Bay in New York take on each other, and then you had St. Louis and Dallas take on each other. Uh, for us here in the local area, and from what I could find online, a good portion of the Northeast 
uh, being the New England and upstate New York area, if not more, uh, could not, especially if you had Spectrum as your cable uh, television provider, could not see the Seattle DC game for technical reasons. What? I don't know. It's just I know at one point my mother messaged me on Saturday saying, hey, is your cable out? And I went and looked, and sure enough, it was out. Well, me using my noodle noggin, I watched the game on the ESPN app, which Ah. was fully working. Uh, So I got to catch that game. I wanted to watch Cardell Jones play. I mean, he's one of the few, you know, names in the league. It's like the only name. Yeah, so I watched a lot of that game. Um, It's football. You know, I mean, it's it's different. It's got uh, some interesting nuances. You know, we talked about some of the rule changes when they released the rules. Uh, one that I didn't quite understand was the new kickoff rule. I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't understand what they meant by one you had to see before it seemed. Yeah, like I, I didn't understand what they were when they said where the players were going to line up and the release of the ball and all that stuff. So the way that it actually worked, if you didn't get to watch the game, <laughs> the kicker lined up on his thirty. Okay, the uh, I guess kickoff team lined up on the opposing team's thirty with the return team lining up across the yard line at the 25. So as the ball got kicked, when it went over their heads, the defenders or kickoff team could not move until the ball was caught by the returner. Then upon there, they were, I guess, released to then go and try and make a tackle. So the only thing I, can, I can't help but wonder, and this is just me kind of thinking off the top of my head, how do they know when to go? Is it a case of like the ref just stands there and like blows a whistle or just says, hey, go? Well, I think it's like one of those, like, I'm trying to think of like a game that we played as a kid where like, you know, you wouldn't know that the ball landed and mm. then all of a sudden like, you're, you know, because your back was turned and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you the ball would land and then you would go hit them or whatever the game was that we used to play as kids so like that's kind of what it was was the ball would go over their heads yeah and then they would watch the ball land and then Uh, when the returner caught it okay they would go i got so that's kind of that's the way the rule was i mean they they talked at it uh limit you know it limits the collisions which it did i think it makes it pretty difficult to return to so it's a pretty good alternative idea it it makes it hard to return it also i can also I also kind of wonder if you're not going to have guys lining up a la Usain Bolt or, you know, Olympic track runners where, or even like when you see uh, college athletes in the NFL combine, when they're getting ready to run their 40 time, they go into that stance. You got, you got a guy on the kickoff team, you know, your team's kicking it off. He's standing there like he's ready to run the 40 yard dash. Like I am ready to just sprint at top speed. Yeah. And then uh, uh, the only other rule that really came into play um, was the double forward pass. Mm. which I believe uh, the defenders ran um, once that did not – it turned out not to work. Mm. Um, I, my biggest interpretation from watching the highlights and the other things and then uh, talking to you guys uh, at the fight, this team – what this league lacks, because right now I think it, it's solid football. Like it's it's adequate football for them not trying to say we're trying to go up against the NFL. They're doing the alternative this year, which is we're just a – subcategory of the sport you know we're, we're, we're for the diehard people who need football yeah, year round. love yeah. your nfl but come watch us in the offseason they're what they're lacking right now is they need quarterbacks they need names they need well not only do they need names but the quarterback play is terrible yeah i, I want that, that the seattle team watching that game in full they had many opportunities to come back into this game and just bad passes errant plays yeah you know by quarterbacks that you know cardell jones was making those plays um so I, what i was telling you guys is i think if they could get and maybe draw some more of the um 
second string or third string NFL tier guys, you know, maybe practice squad guys that aren't quite making the bubble of the NFL roster and want to try. I think those kind of guys are the ones that they should pursue. Yeah. Because they would elevate the play. Because I mean those are legitimate there's some legitimate quarterbacks sure. that are riding pine right now. Sure. That maybe would be beneficial. Sure. I mean Cardell Jones is a very, very good quarterback and has no business being in the XFL. He could very well be a, you know, second string quarterback on a team on a playoff team that, you know, their one goes down, plug in Cardell Jones and they're gonna be okay. Um so I, I think that if they if they can find guys like that, you know, a name that I kind of thought and I uh, have seen him still play in some of those flag leagues, you know, so I don't know if he could still get hit, but Michael Vick would probably be pretty well in this league because of his athleticism and his, you know, the fact that the talent level on the defensive end isn't of an elite level. It wasn't there. Yeah, so, like, I still think, like, you know, um, the pass rush wouldn't necessarily be – he would be able to elude the pass rush still so at he, his age. He will turn 40 years old in June. Just Yeah, so. so, I mean, Tom Brady's still playing at an elite level at 40. I think Vic going to this league could be it. Um, you know, another name that kind of comes to mind would be, like, a Tim Tebow if he wanted yeah. to try and pursue yeah. football again. I think yeah. that this would be great for him. Um, I was trying – there was somebody else that we talked about. Johnny Manziel. Johnny Manziel. You know, I know that Vince and the AAFF, uh, AAF tried to uh, – uh, pursue him, you know, and it, it landed short. But I think if Johnny still wants to play football, I think this is the route for him. They would, he would be a face and a name yeah. that this league needs. I mean, yeah, that's the thing is, at least for me, you know, I checked it out for a cup of tea just because I have no rooting interest in any of these teams. You know, go I, New York. You know, Guardians. Yes, yeah. You know, I there's not a name for me to latch onto. Like, oh, you know, I'm a you know watching the NFL. I'm a Patriots fan. Yes, but if there's a good matchup on Sunday after I get out of work, which usually there is, just because they schedule it that way, I will. You know, I'll go home and I'll watch whatever you know 4:30 game is on. You know, if it's like a Drew Brees versus Aaron Rodgers, mm-hmm. or even maybe like a Jimmy Garoppolo versus uh, Lamar Jackson, a good match. You know, I'll sit there and watch that. Uh, no offense to Cardale Jones or anyone who's an Ohio State fan. I'm I'm not an Ohio State fan. I don't really care for Cardale Jones. I'm you know Ooh. I'm not going to sit down and watch Cardale Jones. Deshaun Kaiser would be good in this league. Thank you know, you. thinking true. of old you know Ohio State slash Notre Dame guys. For so me. for me to really get invested with this league and sit down and watch it on a weekly basis. You got to get some names. You got to get, you know, even if it's you bring in maybe like a Trent Richardson who's on the outs, not really done anything, and he has a resurgence. He has, you know, breakout MVP style, you know, numbers that would compare with, you know, some of the top running backs in the NFL. You get something like that, then I'll tune in. But for right now, I just have no interest. I thought it was very polished, albeit though it wasn't exactly what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is, for the XFL to come back, definitely had a better network deal. It was on Fox and ESPN yeah. all through weekend. ABC. ABC. It definitely was taking strides in the right direction. Let's say it was reported that they had already out the ticket revenue had already outsold uh, in one week the entire season for the AAF. Yeah, so there was definitely a lot of hype in behind this, and especially getting the big network deals, it really helped them. When I saw the games, I saw one thing very, very glaring. Well, so let me just add this. The network deals, also the advertising deals, because the one game, I forget which game it was. I think it was the Dallas game, whatever mm-hmm. it was. They had progressive, like the, the insurance company logo right there on the field. Yeah. 
what they had though was glaring is no defense, in my opinion. Yeah, there was a lot of trick plays, a I lot mean, of flashy. I mean, just looking at the scores, when you have teams putting up thirty plus points or north of twenty plus points, uh, defense very lacking. Well, to be fair, there was a few pick sixes on sure. those, which again goes back though to bad quarterback play. Oh, so yeah. like the defense was bad. But the quarterback play was just as bad, which made some defenses look better than others. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like I didn't really sit there and go, wow, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. I was like, this is okay. Not really fully sold on it. The gambler in me uh, appreciated the live Vegas line. There was a lot lot of people online, though, that were saying that was weird. It was weird. It was weird. Let me get in on that because I definitely, and we talked about this at the show, Mm -hmm. uh, I I kind of think it's a mixed bag because I like the idea of it there for the the way that gambling is now. It's I mean it's blowing up. It's it's oh everywhere. yeah it's it's everywhere. So to deny it would be stupid. But what I don't want is I don't want my announcers talking about the fact that the line has moved from over thirty nine to over forty one. I agree with that, especially when a team is driving and trying to score to tie the game, and they're like. Oh, boy, the over's being pushed right now. Hopefully they score in this drive. Not to say that the fix is in. I just don't like the idea of the announcers openly talking about it during a drive. Yeah, like I... That's I, what I don't like. No, I fully agree with you on that. And that's why I said, like, I the the gambler in me was like, all right, this is right, cool. Right, But for the purest of the sport, like I said, this is why I was saying the, the cheerleaders and hot tubs, sure, I love seeing that, but I don't need to see it during my game. It's the same thing with the Vegas line for me. I know what, what's going on. I don't need to see a moving line, and especially you hit the nail right in the head. To have a legitimate league with integrity, you don't need to be putting the gambling line and stats on there. You just, I mean, you can do it. Just don't push it. Yeah, well, like, well that's yeah. the thing. Because how it came across is you were pushing it. Right. Yeah, the narrative is like, yeah. And I'll tell you, like, Perception I told you guys, is reality right there, yeah. That fourth quarter drive by the Seattle team, there were some very questionable calls, and the line was being talked about. And I was like, that pass interference call really shouldn't have been called. you know. And then all of a sudden, Seattle goes from being on a fourth and 15 to a first and two at the goal line. And I'm like, all righty then, here we go. You know, So it looks bad. you know. I mean, obviously the referees saw what they saw, and they threw the flag. I don't think the fix was in, but it didn't look good yeah. timing-wise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's something that you know you have to watch moving forward with that like i say they're they're doing some innovative things and 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 i respect the fact they're doing that so it's not coming out the same but for me like i watched the game like i saw the the st louis uh, dallas game there i wasn't exactly wowed yeah yeah but i was like mm, okay this is this is something or dallas and la i'm sorry Dal- dallas yeah it was LA. dallas and la yeah i like i said i wasn't super like amazed by it by any means but I was like, okay, well, this could be something. No, I mean, it was definitely a solid weekend for XFL, though. All four of their games drew over 17,000 fans, you know, plus fans, 17,000 plus fans to their four games. I know a lot was made about how empty MetLife Stadium looked for the New York Guardians game. But the thing that should be noted it was it's not a case of, oh, look at how poorly the tickets sold. Right. They didn't open up seating past the first level. Right. They didn't. So the nosebleed, you know, if you go to a Giants game, nosebleeds that are probably like 25 bucks a piece you know where you got to bring your binoculars to see anything they didn't off open up those seats they you know the same can be said for all the other large stadiums they didn't open up 
every rung in the stadiums. They, they just kept it the, the first level, which was and smart was on their smart. part. And and I'll tell you, I mean, I, uh, being the premier lacrosse league fan, you know, here uh, watching that league, you know, in its inception last year, in its first year, you know, they open in uh, Foxborough. They open right. in New England in Gillette Stadium. And they play in a few more bigger soccer and football stadiums. Well, that didn't come across very good on TV yeah. because yeah. they weren't selling out the venue. And there's a lot of sporadic seats. So I think as the XFL evolves, they're going to eventually find their niche. Yeah. And they'll eventually, you know, probably settle in more soccer stadiums that are willing to host mm-hmm. them. And I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they settle for more. Um, and this is what the uh, PLL is doing this year. Uh, second-tier college stadiums. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they settle in those either. The problem is, and where I think we'll lie, is that the 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 logos and the sponsorships are difficult to do because those stadiums already have those. Yeah. So I think that's where the, the, the problems will be. Like for the, uh, the Guardians of New York, the New York Guardians to play in Red Bull Stadium, you know, they would have to accept the Red Bull advertising, mm. which might conflict with whatever's going on currently with XFL advertising. So that is something that they'll have to finagle. But I, that's Stadium. where I see it. Yeah, that's where I see things going. Put it in, put in Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium already hosts a bowl game every year. Oh, no, and, and they're trying to host. Well, the problem is, though, is that it's going to extend to XFL ends. Baseball season will be yeah, starting. Yes, in April it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah well, I mean, at one point, Yankee Stadium was also hosting soccer games at the same point they were playing baseball That's games. true. It, That's it, true. It's something that a, make it work. that a new league needs to learn. Yeah. But going in from the opening weekend, there, there's good things to take away and there's bad. Well, say so they had great viewership. I mean, the, the, the high at one point, there were 3.3 million viewers on ABC watching the Defenders and Dragons game with viewership peaking at 4 million people by the end of the broadcast. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of things to look forward to. We'll for say that, by, co- by comparison, the uh, the first game for the AAF was 2.9 million viewers, and that was in prime time on CBS. This is what I'll say that they need to do. And it's to what Pad said earlier. They got to make us care about the players. Yeah. So they they're gonna need to do some sort of um, storytelling. So not wrestling storytelling, but just some sort of no, get to know your players. behind the scenes, right. behind package. the scenes stuff. Some some some. Give me a you know find a player who's got a sob story and give me that. Like I'll yeah, latch like, onto that. And they can do so, like that'd be something that could air in the, the WWE network. You know, so maybe some subscribers would go there. YouTube, like I would. They already borrowed a lot from the PLL. I would take the avenue that they've done with their players, which is like the the vlogs and the YouTube stuff, and put your players in the open so that that way they're there. You know, put their Twitter handles in their you know in their uh, you know Eric Dungy Syracuse you know seventeen of twenty five passing blah 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 Twitter handle yeah you know like do stuff like that so your players get out in the open so that way us as put because I like Pat said I don't care about these players. I'm going to watch because I love football, so but I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. Even even do this. Why not do a hard knock style oh, God. Video, video thing? Yep. But for practices leading up to the game, obviously you can't, put, you, you can't put them up before the game is played because, right. hey, inside knowledge. Tape the practices. You know, Pick a team for the week. New York, mm. one week. L.A. the next week. Film the practices for the week leading up to the game. Do it both sides even. And then, and then do it in a hard knock style. Put it on YouTube, Facebook, everything. Es, I mean, that's what ESPN Plus is for. Yeah, like literally, just air it on ESPN Plus before the game, thirty minutes before the games. Like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, there's plenty of opportunities to to go upon it. And you touched upon the the one drawback. 
there was no players that really stuck out to me. Like I said, I butchered the team that I was even watching because it was St. Louis and Dallas <laughs> this week. But I was honestly so confused because it wasn't fully explained to me. Like I was just like, okay, well, they have different jerseys. Okay, that's who I'm rooting for. Yeah, and, I mean, and, I know I know some of the old Giants guys. I know Eric Dungy because he played at Syracuse. Yeah. I know Cardell Jones because, you know, he went to Ohio State. My wife's former a fan. Bill. Yep. Former Bill, sure. So those are the guys I knew. Um, there was the one wide receiver – from Cleveland, uh, Galloway on uh, Washington. So the, some of those players I knew, but then other guys I was just like, "Who are you?" Yeah, you, you had to pick your brain. Yeah, yeah. especially the the quarterbacks need to be guys I know, guys I've heard of, guys I care about. Yeah, that's the one issue that they're going to have to build, and they have some time to do it. Just the one thing I want to see from this weekend is the retention. Mm, I want to oh. see how many people are coming back. That's I'm, true. I'm expecting, yeah. I'm expecting a drop-off. I, am I going to say it's going to be colossal? No, but it's going to be a tough sell. But this is where the storytelling could come in that would help elevate that. Right. You know, like if they told us these two teams. But but any league, they, they, you have to build rivalries. It's yeah. not just building. Like, I'm not going to just hate Dallas yeah. because I hate the Cowboys. You know, like <laughs> I'm not going to associate it with that. So that's where they need to build rivalries and start to get the – you know, that's what Vince does. You know, some storytelling in there. Yeah, yeah. and like I can, I can handle that part in there. I just don't want to be in so much that it affects my game. Sure. Well, I mean, right, like right, a, right. I mean, like, I, it's yeah. got to be natural. You well, know, it's got to yeah. be built naturally. And that's what I'm saying with it. Because like I said, the first time we did this with the XFL, it really went off the deep end. <laughs> Badly. Like, it, it was... Thankfully, I don't remember much of that. Oh, you, you, I mean, you should you be lucky. Because I remember like after the first week, we just completely went off the rails. Like I said, you had the cheerleaders in the hot tubs, which is great and all. But it's like, what am I watching? There, there, I think there was a, uh, a, a Lana Rusev story. Yeah, going on. There was then. Yeah, there was there was some kind of weird storyline going started on. Started all the way back then. Yeah, it was just Ben's something. playing along. It was just we, something. yeah. We just can't get away from the cockold stories here. I mean, God. Yeah, but that's just how like you need to draw that fine line. Like if you're going to have a professional sports league, not a sports entertainment league, do it the right way. Focus on the players. Focus on the game. Do the right promotion. This is how the NFL does with all the networks they work with. You see the stories of like what's going on in the offseason. You see what's going on during the week. You see enough that you you get hooked on to players and the stories they have and why you want to root for them. Right. Once the XFL figures that out, it should be a good thing. It just depends on are the viewers going to be patient enough to let them do that. Mm-hmm. That's the question. So going in, final thoughts on the XFL before we close it out, Coach. I am. I'm. It's better. It's a better version and an upgraded version of the AAF. Uh, uh, whatever. I always say it wrong. I don't care anymore. That, AAF. Uh, the garbage football league that was done after two weeks. I am glad that they are playing football and not doing the the garbage that was XFL 1.0. And I'm glad it's being portrayed as actual football because I that's what was played on Saturday and Sunday. And I I thought it was great. I'm not you know not being a baseball fan. So right now this is a lull in sports for me. You know, basketball is kind of just ramping up a little bit. The Rangers are what they are right now, so it's difficult to watch that. We thought they were. Yeah, if they're even on TV around here, so it's like difficult to even get a chance to watch them. Um, So I'm now I have this niche on Saturday and Sunday. But again, like I said earlier, I'm not. If I have like stuff going on, or if there's something else that takes priority, I'm not dropping what I'm doing to watch this. But I will tune in. 
Pat? I mean, good start for them. Happy to see, you know, something else out there for the football fanatics who need football 24-7, 365. You know, good start for them. But I, again, said the same thing about the AAF. So we'll have to wait and see, you know, this coming weekend with ratings and all that and attendance and all that if it sticks. You know, for me, I, you know, I really don't care. I mean, I, you know, I'm good with the NFL from when it starts to when it finishes. You know, I, I don't need football in my life 24-7. I mean, Yankees uh, pitchers and catchers report this Thursday, so I'm looking forward to that. But, you know, if, if you're one of those folks you need football 24-7, I hope you enjoy it, and I hope the, the XFL flourishes. Thank you. I just wanted to see what we're going to have moving forward. Out the gate, it did catch the attention, and I was very happily surprised with what I saw. Albeit, though, it's not a competition with the NFL. The NFL is much, much better. They've also got like a 100-year head start. Right. But for coming back and the stigma that was the original XFL, this was a step in the right direction. Albeit, though, the replay system being used via Xbox. Um, yo, that was amazing. Maybe, that was great. That was yeah, amazing. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know what I think of that yet. And but. I like the fact that you're in there with the actual officials reviewing it. So like yeah. he's interacting with you know the the booth and the fans and he's like, uh, yeah, we'll go with the catch. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I can't really reverse it, so we'll go with it. You want me to review the touchdown? Okay. Yeah, it's a touchdown. You know, like I perfect. There was some innovations that yeah I think can can help. I mean it's just so weird seeing it done via Xbox. I was like I still just could not get over that. Well, it's because it's a superior console. Yes. So that's why it's Xbox. Sales are big to differ on that, but <laughs> yeah. that's another show. <laughs> well, make me pull out numbers. Well played, Coach. But overall, the XFL, good first week. Want to see where they go a second week. Obviously, ODPH Society chimed in. We had the poll up on Twitter, 91%, so they loved it. So we'll have to see what they do for week two. I just hope they add a little more star power and maybe learn how to play some defense and get back to the essence of the game because you're saying you do this for the love of the game and love of football. Prove it. Week two, we'll have to see and watch. So let us know if you're watching. Hit us up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPH. What is your thoughts about week one of the XFL? Are you coming back for week two, or is it time to start watching baseball? Hit us up. Let us know. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Being a nerd as an adult can be difficult. Life gets a little busy to constantly be staying up to date with nerd culture. Let's see. There's work. Life. Bills. Stress. Relationships. Kids. So you wish you could just turn something on during your hectic life that would keep you up to date at the push of a button. Look no farther than the 30 and Nerdy Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Tyler. Here on the 30 and Nerdy Podcast, we enlighten, educate, and entertain with all things nerd. We discuss, debate, and break it down on what's going on in nerd culture from the past, present, and future. And you know the cool part? We're 30. So we bring it to you in a less hectic way and easily accessible through your favorite podcast platform. But no worries, you don't have to be 30 to enjoy the show. So relax and keep up to date with us as we bring you nerd news you need to know, but don't have time to go searching for. So come nerd out with us at the 30 and Nerdy Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you cast your pod. Cheers to you, nerds. Hey, this is Brian Wolf from Fair City Fire. You are listening to ODPH, the greatest podcast in Binghamton. Woo!
back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast Pad. Local Minute time. Of course, Local Minute, we are talking some Binghamton Devils hockey news, looking at their games from this past week. Uh, they lost their game back on February 5th, uh, 2-1 against the uh, Penguins. Then they went on a two-game trip out to Cleveland to play the Monsters. They lost their game on February 7th by the final score of 3 to nothing, and then won their game yesterday uh, by the final score of 4 to nothing. Looking ahead to their games they got this coming week, uh, they return home on Wednesday, February 12th, to play the Syracuse Crunch at 7.05. And then on Friday, they remain home to play the Hershey Bears, uh, game time 7.05. And then on Saturday, they travel on the road down to Hershey to play the Bears at game time 7 o'clock. More information, BinghamtonDevils.com. Coach, Bulldogs, Stallions. Yeah, tough, tough go uh, Saturday night in Syracuse. The uh, Stallions able to pull out a 165-116 to 116 victory. Oh, yeah, uh, I mean, needless to say, we've already spoke about it. There's the underlying, you know, uh, tension in the room. So obviously that played to Syracuse's favor, uh, being the hometown this time. You know, they were able to get the support. And uh, unfortunately, the Bulldogs were just not not necessarily prepared, but just I, they've probably never faced a road game like that since they were all, you know, college athletes. So it was probably a, a difficult environment to walk into. Uh, the you know the Stallions promoted the hell out of the game. Shout out to the Stallions for prom- their promotion too. I I will say this: they were very very good about putting billboards up throughout Syracuse. Yeah, I mean I so I drove Saturday uh, with uh, Ted Hoost, a uh, friend of the show, uh, to and to the uh, Syracuse Yale scrimmage, mm-hmm. and I saw that right outside Syracuse's uh, practice facility was a Stallion uh, billboard. Yeah, and I was like. Oh boy, I I knew that there was trouble in the lurks right when I saw that. So they promoted the hell out of the game, and it showed. Yeah, and they did that nice video package that we had the interaction with them on Twitter about. Yeah, and they, I mean, they had live broadcasting on their uh, Facebook feed, which was great. Um, tough, just tough, tough. It's the rivalry game that runs the ABA, in my opinion. Not saying because we're the Bulldogs' home base here, you don't really hear about a big rivalry in that league. Other than Binghamton and Syracuse, mm-hmm. and there, I mean, Grant, there's a lot of history that has has this built to it. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, and it just adds to it. But I loved how Syracuse promoted this. This had a big fight feel throughout. Sure, sure. And especially how it left in Binghamton, which I mean, to Binghamton's credit, when they won, they definitely let everybody know they won. Oh yeah, and they were going to, and, and rightfully so, not taking anything away from Binghamton and how they were promoting about how they won. But Syracuse, you knew, was going to come back, and they definitely took that chip on the shoulder. They had a big fight feel for this, like I said, and they delivered, and they did a knockout blow. And not that I want to side or affiliate or anything, but, I mean, Jimmy Gray shot 75% from the floor. (sighs) That is bonanas. Yes. Like, guys don't even shoot that from the three throws, and they shot seven. that man shot 75% from the floor. He missed only a fourth of his shots. That is Insane, like Clay Thompson, Steph, you know Curry, for all the the accolades that we like to give them for shooting, like they don't shoot seventy five percent on a night, and this man did it. Like kudos to him. Um, better tough. shooting than Syracuse than uh, North Carolina had on Saturday. Better shooting than Syracuse all year. <laughs> Way better. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it just uh, and the Bulldogs. You know what? I I think that they'll come back. They'll take this loss. Uh, and, you know, I know that uh, Reggie and Jimmy are two proud individuals that they won't let this stand, you know, so they will come back. 
they'll go to the drawing board and they'll come back ready to fight. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. and, and we'll have to see where this leads. I mean, they have four four games left as of right now. Um, they play this Saturday, February fifteenth, on the road versus Rock City. So two road games, you know, back to back can be very difficult. Uh, Rock City, obviously, a little bit of a rival from the fact that you know they were one of the early Bulldogs in that first year. You know, back and forth teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I believe that the Oneana game got switched from a road game to a home game. Yes, it did. So that's pretty pivotal because that would have been three road games back to back to back. But they play every Saturday from pretty much here on. So, I mean, I know we'll talk about it again, but, I mean, they got February 22nd, February 29th, March 7th, and March 8th. That's definitely a typo on there. So March 8th is a Sunday. So they end the year back-to-back on the road. But, you know, obviously the playoffs will be thereafter, mm-hmm. you know, the following weekend in March. So everybody, you know, start preparing for that. That's going to be at St. Pat's. So uh, go out there and support your Bulldogs. For more information, you can check their website. Or their active Facebook. Yes, I highly recommend going to their Facebook more so than the website. BiggintonBulldogs.com for more information on that. The seventh, as you mentioned, though, for March might not be a typo. No, no, March seventh's not a typo. Saturday, March eighth is yeah. the typo. Well, it's, no, because I'm thinking the game might be Sunday the eighth. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, Sunday, yeah. it should yeah. be Sunday, March eighth. Yes. Yeah, because that Saturday locally. Is parade day? Oh, the big St. Patrick's uh, Day parade downtown. Wow, wow, wow! And this is going to tie into my local minute because it was announced that our favorite independent wrestling promotion, Excite Wrestling, is invading parade day. Good lord! So I'm not. Ex- Binghamton ain't ready. I'm not exactly sure what they're doing. I have visions of Animal House and <laughs> and, and, and the Delta Float coming down there. With Axel Lennox and Rob Cook hanging off the sides with Moose. It's going to be out of control, but yeah. in the best way possible. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, that's going to be YouTube gold, so I'm highly recommending anybody that's going to be down there put that up because I just sense it's going to be absolutely wild what they're going to do down there. So that has been confirmed. It has also been announced to Moose had a bunch of announcements going on for that, for Excite this past week, that they're doing their first comedy show at the X. Mm-hmm. Now, Coach, do you know who is going to be coming in for this comedy show? Uh, I do. I do. Um, it is just incredible. Mm-hmm. It is Shane Douglas, mm-hmm. and it is Sam Mann. Yes, from the ECW Originals. Uh, the whole effing truth tour is what is being titled at. They do have tickets online at ExciteWrestling.com slash tickets for the event, and that is going to be Saturday, June 13th at the X. And they did do their fight announcement for uh, March 7th as well. So not only is there going to be a parade day, they're doing a show after. Oh, Lord. And they're going to be doing their anniversary. Can you believe it's been eight years of Excite? Wow. Eight-year anniversary at the X. Uh, It has been announced uh, LSG is going to be facing Stockade for the belt. Uh, They're having some members from AEW come in. Mm Mm-hmm to wrestle uh part of the dark order faction um the gentleman escaped me at this time so but it's not the young or it's it, it, it's not jericho it's not uh, jack hager we should just get that out of the way right now yeah no the only thing that we don't know is sean carr has two mystery partners for his match that night so that being said more information about all of this excite wrestling world is ExciteWrestling.com or their very active Facebook page. Everybody's so much more active on their Facebook. No, and let's just shout out real quick. Eight years. 
that is tremendous for an yeah. independent wrestling company yeah. in today's climate. Yeah. You know, to be able to survive that long, I mean, so many times, and especially to be in New York State, which is one of the most difficult states to work with for anything, yeah. let alone, <laughs> yeah. you know, a co- athletic commission. So kudos to them and what they're doing over there. Yeah, no, Moose and the team over there have been doing such an amazing job at the X and bringing in business to the local area, and it's a whole new vibe if you go down to the X. And they've been putting on killer shows. Moose is due to come back on the ODPH at some point, too. I talked to him last week. Uh, he's mentioned, he's like, hey, buddy, um, got a couple things I want to talk about. So stay tuned for that. We're trying to line him up for that. So, like I said, ExciteWrestling.com for more information. Or just go right to their Facebook page. And why don't I kick, out, kick off around in the bases? Let's talk some wrestling since we're doing this. Okay. So, it was announced WWE... The uh, next Saudi show they're doing. End of the month. Yep. Goldberg is coming back to fight Bray Wyatt. Ugh. Coach, your thoughts on this? I, I won't watch it, so I won't have to worry about it because I have zero interest in anything that Bill Goldberg has to do with WWE, let alone what he has to do with um, getting a title shot against you know The Fiend and, and Bray Wyatt. I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. I don't want nothing to do with it. Pad, your thoughts? I don't care. Like <laughs> the Saudi shows are in a parallel dimension and a pocket universe where they get mentioned for all of five minutes and then they're never referenced again. I mean, Christ, Braun Strowman won, you know, the Intercontinental Championship on SmackDown last week, and they said it. Oh, it's his first singles win in WWE history and, and all this stuff. But like, he held a belt for winning the greatest Royal rumble, you know, whatever, you know, I don't care for the Saudi shows, you know, they're glorified house show. I mean, I, I was interested in them for the first one. Yeah. For the, for for the the first one, right. Where I was like, okay, this is interesting. Like you had virtually every belt was on the line for this show, for that show. And I remember I was working that day, so I couldn't watch, but I was getting the updates on my, I had every intention of watching when I got out of work that day, but I was getting the updates on my phone. And every time I'd update it to see, I'd look at my phone to see what was going on. It'd be, Oh, the champion retained. Oh, the champion, every champion retained. So I'm like, Oh, this is a glorified house show. Like you, you hyped it up and you build it up and you killed it in one fell swoop. I don't care for this show. Goldberg's going to make Yay. He's not going to win. He's not going to get the championship. It's going to be a one and done, and that's going to be it. And I just don't care. Yeah, I have really no interest in this. Uh, I thought it was kind of noteworthy that they decided to bring him back. I mean, obviously, and like Pat has touched upon, when they do these super showdowns, this has nothing really to do with storylines or the current WWE product. Mm-hmm. It's it's parallel universe. It's weird things happen that is always just a glorified house show. So the fact that Goldberg's going over there to fight Bray Wyatt, I thought was kind of interesting, especially with the theory that when Bray gives somebody the mandible claw, it reverts them depending on what hand he uses, the hurt or heel. So I'm wondering, does this mean that Goldberg will go back to his football days and now that'll be his new gimmick when he starts wrestling? I just, I don't want to see him. I don't want to see Goldberg have any, and especially a title shot. Like, all right, you want to have him come in have him be, you know, booked with somebody who's going to bump around and stuff. Like, not somebody like Bray Wyatt who, like, is uncannily physical. Like, he yeah. is a, uh, you know, a very, not stiff, but he's a very, like, stern worker. And, like, now you're going to put him in there with a guy who, you know, just won't bump. It's like that. That So how does that work with Bray, you know, and his type of, and, and his type of wrestling? You know, I mean, 
Bray needs to be in there with somebody like Daniel Bryan or somebody that like has athleticism that can and and take a bump. I mean, Goldberg should be in there with people like Ziggler. Yeah, and that's that's where I stand on that, you know, because Ziggler will sell. Ziggler will go over the top, over the moon for you. If you get if you put Ziggler in the ring against Goldberg again, selling, you know, nine jackhammers and like fifteen spears, I'll watch that. That was that was funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this one really isn't moving the needle. Like, the rest of the card is just, it's filler till mania. They're still going to do the Elimination Chamber at some point. Yep. Uh, the only thing I think you might see here is, I know Roman is, Reigns is fighting King Corbin in a steel cage. I think that's going to be finally the end of that feud. As if I haven't heard that three times. Right, but I think this might be the end because I have a feeling that Bray is going to wipe the floor with Goldberg, that Roman comes out, and that builds your slow hype for WrestleMania between those two. That's my early prediction on that. But let's talk about a better card that's going to go on. That's literally any other card. Yes, but one that's coming up this weekend. Oh. And that is NXT TakeOver Portland. Sold. <laughs> that's all you really kind of need to say is just NXT TakeOver. <laughs> look, at the, look at the recent run of NXT TakeOvers. Like, you don't need much to sell me on them. Right. Now, I did co-host, and then obviously you've been listening to the ODPH Network. I do co-host the wrestling show with Rich and Three Fat Nerds Network. Um, so we've been sharing the shows here on the ODPH network for the month of February. So you'll hear my takes on this card, but I definitely wanted to include my illustrious panel for their feelings on NXT takeover Portland. So I want you guys to break down the card. Who do you got? And let's start with Tegan Knox versus Dakota Kai in a street fight. Mm. Thoughts on this coach, Dakota Kai. Uh, yeah, I'm going with Dakota Kai. I mean, street fight, you know, the hot heel going into it, you know, I, th- I think it's going to be Dakota Kai, and I think it's going to be real brutal. How good has Dakota Kai been on her heel oh, turn? Real good. So good. Real good. Yeah, just amazing on this. So next up, your winners of the Dusty Rhodes Classic, the Broserweights. Bro. Pete Dunne and Matt Riddle versus the Undisputed Era. Thoughts on this, Coach? Undisputed Era. I, I This, this to me, is probably the hardest one to pick just because, you know, I enjoy Pete Dunne, Matt Riddle. I'm I'm lukewarm on. You know, he's funny, buddy. I'm not real warm on the guy. I love Undisputed Era. Uh, Undisputed Era. Nobody beats Kyle O'Reilly coming out doing air guitar with a belt. Facts. Nobody. I just hope that they don't end this with uh, Dunn turning on. Yeah, like the typical classic heel turn thing. Yeah, Yeah. like I don't need this. Like I can see him Did you see his deadpan face on NXT last week? I can see it happening. I don't blame him. I mean, that promo got fucking weird. Yeah. Weird. Well, that's that's, uh, that's Matt Riddle. How much you. fish could Bobby fish fish if Bobby could fish could fish? I mean. Say that five times fast. Yeah, it's oh, it's God. Matt Riddle doing Matt Riddle things. Maybe he'll call out Lesnar again because, hey, that worked the first time. He did already. I, I know. Like, show. I, it's just like, bro. <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. But what else can you say? Probably my match of the night is going to be the North American Championship. Mm-hmm. Donovan Dijak. I'm not even going to try saying what he's being called in, in NXT. Like, I'm sorry, he's always going to be DiJack to me against Keith Lee. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this, Coach? It, Bask in his glory. Yeah, you don't put a belt on a guy to have him lose at the next show, so Keith Lee. I mean, you're unless you're other people on the main roster. This oh, is yeah. Zack Ryder. Yeah, well, yeah, that's another that's another thing, too. Uh, this one, I mean, this is arguably one of the best rivalries in NXT, and I know they're in the current front of me phase right now, but... Yeah. Both these guys can definitely put on a show. I think it's going to be a real fun one. Keith Lee's a freak athlete, and I love watching Keith, it. Yeah, Keith Lee. The only reason I think if he if he loses uh, will be because he's going to go to Raw or SmackDown right after Mania. That would be the only reason he loses. Could be. But this one's going to be a fun match. Uh, this one that I'm going to talk about now, 
has got a lot of buzz behind it. This yeah. could be your match of the year candidate. Johnny Gargano versus the Prince Finn Balor. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on this? I, I can't wait for this. This feud has been stewing and bubbling very well. I mean, it's been a pretty good build. Uh, that last promo on NXT the other night was, you know, pretty well executed. Oh, so good. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I mean, right, I've got a lot of heels going over, and a face has to win at some point here. I just, I don't know, because I think if Finn wins here, then Ciampa wins the belt, and then it goes to Finn Ciampa next. Um, and then if Gargano wins, then I think Ciampa loses, and then it goes, you know, Gargano and, and, and Cole. Um, I kind of like the idea of, you know, Balor beating Gargano heavily mm. and then having, you know, Ciampa be like, you know, uh, whether this is for Goldie or not, I don't care. I just want a piece of you. And then that builds to that rivalry. Um, so I'm going to go Balor and I'm biased. So I'll go Balor again. I think it's going to be Balor winning, but I don't think it's going to be just simple. Finn Balor. I think it's going to be Demon Finn Balor. And, I, and I'm just spitballing. I'm thinking off the top of my head just because they had that promo where it was like, oh, I want to face the real Finn Balor. The real Finn Balor. You know, so I'm, I'm thinking he might break out the, the Demon gimmick a little bit there. Who knows? Could happen. Um, It'll be a great match either way. It's going to be a match of the year candidate, bar none. Going into your co-main event for the NXT Women's Championship Bianca Belair mm-hmm. taking on your defending champion, Rhea Ripley. Thoughts on this? So, I don't know. I just, I'm not huge on Bianca like everybody else is. I know everybody else is like to the moon with her. and She's I, good. Yeah, I mean, she's in, in Best ring. pure athlete in the, on yeah, the roster. Yeah, I mean, she's fine. I just, for me, it's not my my thing. I don't know. I just don't, I don't get into it with the whole hair gimmick. It's just not my thing, so. I uh, but Rhea Lippery, Rhea Ripley, Rhea is a Ripley, killer, and I I mean twenty three years old and she yeah. looks like she's been wrestling for seventy. I yeah. mean she is pure. I can't wait for her and Charlotte. I think that you know she comes out on top here and it's just on the way to WrestleMania. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be Rhea retaining the title just because I you know I know the rumors are that it's going to be Rhea versus Charlotte at uh, WrestleMania. I don't think they want to put Charlotte in another triple threat match, but you know, back yeah. to back to back years. Nothing against Bianca Belair, she's very good, but I think this is this is her send off from NXT obviously given how well she performed at the Royal Rumble, you know, but I think it's going to end up being Rhea Ripley retaining. I think Ripley retains and I think this is where Charlotte officially makes the match against Ripley for the NXT title of Mania. Yeah, maybe like a little walkout you walk yeah. out yeah. point. It's it's gonna happen here. It won't happen on NXT this week, it'll happen here. And to close out the show for the NXT men's championship title, Tommaso Ciampa against Adam Cole. Baby. Baby. Thoughts on this. I mean, Adam Cole's had what the, the second longest NXT it's title near, run? It's, it's getting nearing up there, the right? Longest, nearing, yeah. Um, I've had a lot of heels go over the show. <laughs> I had a lot of heels, uh, and I just had Balor go over before with the idea of him and Ciampa going up next. It's just tough. I I don't know. I mean, Adam Cole is is such a good heel, and he carries that belt so well. And the whole undisputed era thing really predicates, I think, on him, you know, being the champion. But I think Goldie's coming home. Yeah, I think it's going to end up being Ciampa, too. And I think it's also going to be the initial setup to maybe possibly see the Undisputed Era get called up uh, to Raw or, well, moved to Raw or SmackDown. 
You know, I, I, I think they've really done everything you can possibly do at NXT. They've won all the belts they've had, main event matches. I think the next step would be to bring them to Raw or SmackDown and really let them run with that and see what, what kind of fun they can have. Yeah, I'm, I think this might be Adam Cole Swan song for NXT, maybe. Um, I, with Mania season going on, who knows? I, I fully expect Adam Cole to be on the Mania card. Yeah. I just, I'm not sure against who. Uh, I'm trying to think like... Undertaker. No, I, 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 I would, uh, I'm, I'm going to say this is just a complete wild notion. Adam Cole versus Braun Strowman for the IC title. Ooh. Okay. Just, I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to say, say, speaking of Taker, there was a certain wrestler that rumors are swirling, has been medically cleared. Don't tell dog. Uh, <laughs> don't tell dog. There's rumors. That's all I'm saying. Sting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want that. Rumors all. are swirling. He's medically clear. Listen, I if this was about 15 years ago, I'd say hell yeah. Yeah, I don't want to see it at this I, point. I don't want to see it at this stage. I'm I'm sorry. The the luster is gone. Especially like, with how how bad. I mean, that last Saudi show, Taker did not look good. Taker and, looked awful. And I mean, Sting looked good, but now this is three years removed since his last time in the ring. Four, four, four plus the next. Four. I don't know. I. I don't want to see it. Not, yeah, definitely not sold on that. Sold on the rest of the card here, though. Yeah, NXT looks fantastic like it always does. Yep, NXT Portland will be on Sunday. The Superior Show. February 16th, 7 p.m. start time on the WWE Network. In all of wrestling. Yes. Oh, I said it. <laughs> I, I fully agree with you. It's it's definitely not AEW right now. It's no, it's true. not. Come at us. Yeah. At Coach Duffy 11. Come, uh, at ODPH, one of us will yeah. chime in right at you. We <laughs> want that smoke. Yep, at OD Parlay Hour. Gotta have that smoke. At Three Fat Nerds Pod, too. Oh, no, yeah, because they'll chime. Rich yeah. will come right after Rich, it, too. Rich would like to. Yeah, Diesel. Well, <laughs> we're not behind a paywall on Twitter. Yeah. If Diesel ever creates his own Twitter, we might have, you might see a Patreon Twitter. Just first time ever, because he is going to go off on it. But that's our wrestling take for the week. So, Coach, why don't you round us with the base here? So, uh, I wasn't here for the preview of the trade deadline, which was unfortunate. I Obviously, it's my favorite time of year. Um so I'm just going to touch on a couple trades that I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, Miami, you know, landing the services of Andre Iguodala and then yeah. immediately signing him to a $30 million contract extension Yo. at like 36, 37 years old. Um, I mean, a smart move for Miami. I think it helps take some of the defensive pressure off of uh, – uh, Jimmy Butler, which I think he needs because he needs to be focusing purely on the offensive side with still being able to help defensively. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like he's going to slouch it. That guy's an no. absolute competitor. Yeah. So um, I the my problem in this trade, though, is that they had to give up Justin Justice Winslow, who I think will fit right in with what Memphis is doing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me, I think Memphis looks just as good coming out of this trade as Miami does. Um, then uh, Houston with their big trade. Um, sending Clint Capella out of there, um, not I. I don't know why you would do that. That that trade. I mean, Clint Capella works well with them. Uh, you know, you need to have at least a body at center. You know, they started a lineup of PJ Tucker, Daniel House, James Harden, um, James Harden, Eric Gordon, and Chris Paul. I it's mean, that short. was your five. Yeah, that's real small. When you got Eric Gordon playing your three at six two. That is a bit of a problem. So 
I I they they I mean they they buy into the small the small ball lineup and I get that with the Antonio system just to me you got to have somebody that rebounds the ball and you know I know they beat my uh, the Lakers right out of that first playoff game mm. or that first game after the trade deadline I don't see that lasting in a four game series so we'll see where that goes uh, and then the Knicks uh, I might be a little long-winded on this one so guys I know you stop I, me and cut my mic off if no, I do no no you've had this building um, up I want to let you vent I mean Marcus Morris had been a very very serviceable player for the Knicks leading scorer um you know obviously spurred the Spurs hey oh yeah uh, at the last minute after pretty much inking his deal with San Antonio to, to become a spur um you know had obviously had contract negotiations with the Clippers they couldn't work out money um, so, you know, eventually was going to go to the Spurs, opted uh, for the last you know, 23rd hour phone call from the Knicks to sign there. Um, I just, it's like, I get why you make this move because you got another first round pick, but when you have the Lakers and them calling and it's, and it's a back and forth thing and it's like, you know, the original story was the Knicks weren't going to take anything from the Clippers except for uh, Shamit and they weren't going to take anything back from the uh, Lakers except for Kyle Kuzma. You settle for Mo Harkless. You settle for Mo Harkless. What are you doing? I would have just held. I, you get a first round pick that's going to be a later round first uh, first pick because obviously the Clippers are going to make it to the playoffs. And you settle for this first round pick, so you have seven in the next four years, which is tremendous considering that they went seven years without even having a first round pick. Mm -hmm. So that's great and all, but I mean, it's a later first round pick, which I know, you know, Kyle Kuzma was there, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's guys that have been selected in 28th, 29th spot that have been successful. But to me, why not? Yeah, you're better off holding on to him and, and not bending until, you know, one of these teams opted to give you what you wanted. They were eventually going to fold. I mean, uh, the Lakers, I guarantee you, if you, you know, this was the last hour of the trade deadline, they would have said, all right, fine, take Kuzma. You know, like, go. You know, because they, they, they know that Morris is a better player right now. Yep. And that's what they're building for right now. So if you would have stayed held fast in your position, I really think that, that, that they would have landed it. And, um, you know, and then to hold on to Julian Randle and, and Bobby uh, Portis, you know, I, I know Randall was the centerpiece of this offseason, so, you know, you don't want to part ways with him, but it's like, come on, man. Like, what are you doing? You know, like, that's an opportunity, you know, to, to trade and not, you know, and then there's Dennis Smith, you know, the, obviously the trades kind of dried up for him, but, you know, Frank, his name's been out there, and it's like, Frank's not playing right now. Like, yeah, he's getting a few minutes here or there, but, tr you know, stop holding on to these guys and get rid of them if you're not going to play them. They're assets. Use them that way, you know? I mean, you could have gotten a first-round pick from Orlando before they got Markel Fultz. It's like, use these type of things. Use your assets that you have to accumulate things instead of holding on to them and then ultimately losing out in free agency. It's just goddamn frustrating. And then, you know, now Leon Rose is being talked about coming over uh, uh, from uh, being an agent to becoming the team president, which has worked in Golden State. Um, I believe that the Lakers. Lakers did the same thing. So while, yeah, you know, the Lakers already were built to be great, Bob Myers inherited Seth Curry and Klay Thompson and then, and Draymond, and then put the pieces around him. Obviously, he was huge in the Kevin Durant deal, which you know, pushed them and elevated them, but they were still a good team prior to that, and they were a good team, you know, at, they're still a good team after that. Um, 
I just I don't I, I don't know. But and, and to talk about Golden State, that Andrew Wiggins trade was huge. Yeah, he when they when they come healthy, and you're talking about Curry, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, and fill in the blank for center. They're going to be an okay team. Like they bounce back with that trade. That hold, getting rid of D'Angelo Russell, who I think is a fine player, which again the Knicks should have been on a little more aggressively. Uh, I it was a brilliant move. I really think. I know that this season is going to be a wash for the for the Warriors. Next year they're going to be okay. Next year they're going to be fully healthy. So ne- next year I think that that those three, it's not going to be as good as Durant, but he can put points. I mean he is playing very well right now without the two of them. Just wait till next year. I'm just waiting to see if the Knicks flip that pick to go get Urge from Toronto. Oh, my God. I'm no, because Toronto's not going to want that 29th pick in the draft for their they'll, general They'll, they'll, they'll package mean, something. No, because Leon Rose is coming. That's going to be the team president. It's going to be Leon Rose. So they're not even going to do anything with Toronto. They're just going to accept that. Listen, I, I understand the value of having first-round picks. What I don't understand is when you were like, we're not going to break unless we get Kuzma or Shamit. And then you break, and you don't get either of them. It's just a state. That's of, just it's a state of flux they're always in, and that's it's. It, and I mean, I just don't get it. Bobby Portis could have at least, you know, been shit. I mean, Mitchell Robinson is outplaying him right now. Yeah, Mitchell Robinson outplaying him. Kevin Knox is still not starting. I mean, Ken, I watched the game last night, and I'm watching um, them down the stretch, and they have a lineup of Alfred Payton, uh, Wayne Ellington, Reggie Bullock. Julian Randall and Bobby Portis. Or Mitch Robinson wasn't. Mitch yep. Robinson was playing the five. And then Taj Gibson subbed in for him. So of those five, who's going to be a Nick next year? Nobody. Nobody. The so ball boy. why aren't Kevin Knox, RJ Barrett, Mitchell Robinson, why are they not in this part of the game? How is Damian Dotson not playing over Reggie Bullock? I is mind boggling. And Alonzo Trier. Let's talk about poor Alonzo Trier, who's a unrestricted free agent going into this year now who's just going to walk away for free. And I guarantee you, that man's game is so similar to Jamal Craw- uh, Jamal Crawford. He is going to flourish mm. becoming that. He is, he's Lou Williams. He's Jamal Crawford. He's in that mold. You know, a small guard who can play the one or the two, but can put up buckets. See, I told you I was going to get long-witted. And I, I'm, I had Pat's, to let you vent, man. Pad's falling asleep over here. I just, it's so goddamn frustrating. It's the same shit. Every single week for the last like God, I see. I thought I thought Pat was going to talk about Calipari. That's why I was I was waiting. God, no, Calipari said he's not coming the Knicks yet. He no, he said that. He said uh, they interviewed him. They asked him because his agent is or he is uh, he works with Leon Rose like some way. I can't remember what they said the connection was, and he was like, "Yeah, no, I have no interest in joining him there." So that's what he said publicly. That's not what he said behind closed doors. Well, I mean, I don't. Listen, he's got it made in Kentucky, man. So I mean, you're saying there's a chance. Well, there's always you can't always say no, but fuck, it's. Yep, yeah. you know I did it again. I went long. I I got on a tangent. No, I just I had to let you vent, man. I, like I, I just don't get it. Like I just uh, you know how easy <laughs> you could have gotten a second round pick for Bobby Portis. There's better talent in the second round than there is at the 29, 20, you know, twenty eighth and thirtieth spot. Like there's better talent there, yeah. and yet you settle for that pick. You should have gotten Shamit. There's no way in the last hour because, I mean, face it, now the Clippers are, are yeah, they're a much better team, but now they kept, they wanted to give you Mark Morris. He, the guy wasn't even 
fucking playing right now. He was an afterthought. The dude wasn't even getting minutes. He still hasn't even played in the Knicks uniform. The trade deadline was Thursday. Andre Iguodala played, for God's sakes. The man hasn't played all year. He has no cardio and he fucking played before him. It is what it is. It's Knicks. just, God. It, no, but we're going to get Giannis next year, man. He's no, coming. He's coming. Giannis is coming. Jason Kidd's going to be the head coach. Giannis and Jason Kidd, they're going to happen. They got cap They got cap space. I'm having deja vu to they last year. They got cap year. space. They're going to get uh, Lamar. They're going to get ball. They're going to get ball. I'm, I'm having deja vu to last year with Zion and KD. We should have had him. It's what? happening. It's going to happen. Well, KD can't handle playing in, the, in New York. Go stay in Brooklyn. It's Every, I mean, the definition of insanity is literally being a Knicks fan. I've changed for the that. last twenty years. Yeah. It's not even. It's not even just re- rinse and repeating. It's just being a Knicks fan. For it's the, the definition of insanity. And you know what? I embrace my insanity. I know it's not every. Good fix. That's why I said on uh, the, uh, Jimmy Evans, you know, the Bulldogs owner, you know, team president. That's why I commented on his thing and I said, uh, you know, every year I say that we say the same shit, yeah. and every year it's the same result. Well, it, well it's like we said in the group text when that Knicks trade was first coming down. Or like, I said to you guys, they can't yeah. fuck this you're up. Like, you're like, you can't fuck this up. And what did I say to Pad you? Pad was like, yep. yeah, it's yes, the you ni- It's the Knicks. Pad. They'll fuck it up. Pad was like, yep, they're going to do it. It's just so painful. I don't understand how they are so fucking bad. I starts at the top. I don't get it. Start, like, starts at the I top. I understand that, but leave the fucking Knicks alone. You have the Rangers. Go fuck no, with them. No, no, you stop that. I said you it. Stop that right now. Go no, fuck you stop with that. them. You stop that right leave now. Leave my Knicks no. alone. No. for one year. No. The Rangers, oh, my God. The Rangers are fine. No, no they, they are fine. I mean, their trade, the, the NHL trade line, deadline's coming up, and who knows what the Rangers are going to do. That's a whole other Sell everybody. No, no. They got enough. They have enough talent. They just got to figure out what they're doing with Kreider. If Kreider's willing to take a discount, they'll keep him. If he's not, then, I just, yeah. then they can, flip, they can flip him for something good. But I'm, they'll flip him for something good, but, unlike the Knicks. Well, that's the thing. So I think that what they need to do is just sign whoever's running the Rangers slide over and talk to the Knicks and it all will be well. Just slide to the left. The, the office is right down. I'm the, just saying. It's like right there. I'm just, I see I'm the, just saying. Cause yeah, because I'm, I'm going to get too wound up talking about the Knicks and Rangers. No, all right. See? I You're know. welcome. Oh, I, no, you, I told you, you, you to stop me. No, I no. said I, I was going to go. But I had to let you vent. I had to let you vent. So it's, now now I'm going to say we're going to pass the all right, stop pass me. the ball to Pad Briggs home. Well, a little bit of interesting baseball news that's coming uh, from ah! a report, from a report from Joel Heyman uh, as we were sitting here recording. And there might be some smoke. To, there might be some fire to this smoke. Uh, if you go to the MajorLeagueBaseball.com website, there's an article about it on the front friggin' page. Uh, it sounds like Major League Baseball might consider tool messing around with their playoffs uh, setup. Uh, Why? Set, uh, beginning in the 2022 season. Uh, in the current concept, this is a, from the Joel Sherman article on NewYorkPost.com. Uh, quote, in this concept, the team with the best record in, in each league would receive a bye to avoid the wildcard round and go directly to the division series. The two other division winners and the wildcard with the next best record would each host all three games in a best of three wildcard round. So the bottom three wild cards would have no first round home games. Uh, so just to simplify this, I used last season as an example. The Astros would have received, with the best record, would have received the first round bye. Yankees, with the second best record, would have had the choice to pick among the Rays, Indians, and Red Sox, who they would play. So it's almost kind of like a football NFL type setup where, okay, you know, you got your first round, your wild card round, then you got divisional and championship round. Yeah. You know, but I'm not sure how I feel about this. I mean, I'm okay with it as it is. 
you know, it, it ain't it, broke, don't fix no, it. No, it ain't broke, don't fix it. I like how they added the second wild card position, and you know, you got the wild card playing game. There's definitely some, you know, added interest and in, in excitement with that. You know, especially you know, a couple of years ago, where it was what was it? It was the Red Sox and and uh, Rays both fighting each other for that last playoff spot. And you had Evan Longoria hit the walk off home run to put the Rays into the playoffs, and Red Sox ended up missing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff like that, especially baseball down at the end of the end of the season. You know, the last couple of weeks, you know, are definitely some of the most thrilling and exciting. And it's like you said, the playoffs this scenario ain't broke. Don't fix it. Yeah, there's not a need for it. I will say this, though. Uh, like I said, Yankees pitchers and catchers reporting on February 13th. Full squad, uh, Tuesday next week. Fuck the Knicks. Well, <laughs> well, that goes without saying. Coach is still Ben. I love it. I love it. I can't move on. <laughs> I love it. I mean, the whole time I heard Pat talking, all I heard was the Knicks fucking suck. Oh, the, the, the Knicks, <laughs> the, the fucking terrible, worst-ran organization in sports. You were talking something about playoffs, but I definitely couldn't associate we'll say that. The, to the, the Knicks. Knicks don't know what that is. Nope. But we will find out someday. And maybe the song they come out <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, when Giannis comes back. <laughs> we're going to get Giannis. Maybe the song he comes out to is that a Fair City Fire who does the music for our podcast on the sports show. They're a great band out of Austin, Texas. You want to find out more about them, go to OshoDuroParleyHour.com slash music. You can check out all their social media links. You can find out where you can download their great music, along with such bands as Shout at the Robots, Second Suitor, who is going out on tour starting February 13th. Got a big Valentine's Day show locally, so you can check out all that's going on with them. Floodlands, Walking Distance, all the great music you hear on the ODPH podcast at OchoDoraPolyR.com. You can also check out the ODPH directory. You can find out about Excite Wrestling. You can find out about off-the-cuff gaming. Shout-out to Tom doing big things on YouTube there. Photography by Mike Blakesley and our friends over at Hashtag 607 Podcast, 3 Fat Nerds, and 8122 Productions, which I have been told Derek is back in the lab doing more things for the Patreon so let alone $1 a month gets you in the door, $3 gets you an upgrade, and you can hear the artiste go to work that is hashtag Big Natty Cool. Maybe he'll talk us some Knicks basketball on there, Coach. We'll have to have you sneak on there so you can go full full off on the on the wall behind the paywall. I, I could probably go forever. That would be like a therapy session. We'll, we'll talk to Derek about it. Derek, Derek is open-ended for that, so we'll have to see what we can pull off for that. But like I said, you can find out all about that on OchoDoroParleyHour.com. And shout-out to everybody in hashtag 607podcast, hashtag PodNation, and hashtag NextWave. Shout-out to all our fellow podcasters doing big things. You can check out the Podchaser links right on that page as well. <laughs> it's one-stop shop for everything that is the O-D-P-H. That's all we got for this week. So for your coach... My coach, the coach, Coach Duffy. Good night and go Duke. For the one and only Padawan J. Good night and go Yankees. <laughs> I, I, I'm your host, Ken M. Coach Duffy has just left the studio. <laughs> He's going to consult her Oh, voice. God. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to check on social media, so definitely hit us up on Twitter this week. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.